Hi, welcome back to Talk Rehab. I'm Bill Nolting, and today's episode with Katie Stevens, CEO of Reliable Medical, is brought to you by the premier sponsors of this year's CRT Virtual Congressional Fly-In. Quite a mouthful. Alliance Rehab, National Seating and Mobility, New Motion, Reliable Medical, Rifton, and Quantum. These companies are making it possible this year for all of us to be part of the fly-in on September 14th for free. Doesn't cost anything for you to participate. So visit CRTAccess.com and register for free. You have a couple weeks, but you might as well do it now. Catherine M. Stevens, a.k.a. Katie, has a pretty broad and deep background in the seating and mobility industry. I've known Katie for quite a while, and it's been a real joy to watch her rise to CEO of Reliable Medical. Can't wait to see what's next for her. Katie, thanks for your time today. Can we start with a little update on Reliable Medical? What are you guys up to these days? Yeah, I mean, we are staying busy, you know, working in a couple of new markets, expanded recently into California, Indiana, in the the process of uh, growing our presence in Florida. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, you know, sticking to the business of trying to do what we do well, uh, but growing where it makes sense and where we're finding good opportunities and markets that are, that are looking for, um, uh, you know, an additional player. So it's been fun. We're staying busy. We are, um, you know, lot, lots ahead, lots to do a lot of places we want to continue to get better. Um, uh, but we're enjoying every minute of it. And as I recall, you're pretty familiar with the California market. Yeah, I've, I've had the, a great opportunity to work out there for a number of years with another provider, um, some wonderful folks out there. And, um, you know, we're not looking to go take over the world in California, um, but we saw a great opportunity with uh, acquisition of an organization in the Bay Area. And it's such a consolidated market. We think that competition is good. There's great providers out there already, but we think that we bring something unique to the space and, um, you know, excited to be back in my old neck of the woods for sure. Let's talk about CRT, complex rehab technology, not critical race theory or cathode ray tube. What does CRT mean in the context of seating and mobility? Yeah, so complex rehab technology is uh, really the provision of very specific, very custom measured, custom uh, specified mobility equipment. So you're thinking manual and power chairs, not typically the sorts of things that you're going to see at a hospital discharge or you know, at, at various, in, in various other areas relative to just temporary transportation. Uh, what we really provide is custom devices that are essentially the means to mobility all day and for many hours of the day for the folks that we serve. How do we improve access to CRT for the people that need it and use it? What are some of the obstacles or barriers to access to appropriate CRT or greater independence? So with any number of things, I mean, there are certainly many rural and underserved markets where essentially our mission as an industry is to provide education, get a little bit more involved in the community and provide advocacy for those folks who are perhaps being underprescribed just based on a lack of access to an appropriate seating clinic. 
Um, for those that do have that access, there are a number of other barriers, be they uh, documentation and a, kind of a mercurial environment as it relates to justifying these items um, appropriately and kind of understanding the payer-to-payer nuance that exists. I think that that's one way that we can eliminate a lot of barrier for these folks to get the equipment they deserve is to work with the funding side of the equation to get a little bit better aligned. We providers, I mean, all of the good providers, which is the vast majority of the industry, we do not want to see waste or abuse happening, uh, but looking to work with, better collaborate with the the funding sources to streamline and provide efficiency that is mutually beneficial. Um, I think that that's a important area of focus and that's a, that's a big barrier to provision of equipment. The other one is reimbursements. I mean, there's been over the last 20 years, massive improvement in terms of the technology available, how sophisticated these devices are, how um, there are a number of uh, new technologies that can help improve lives, while on the reverse side, reimbursement is moving in the opposite direction. I think that we can make headway there. The recent headway on coverage for seat elevation and standing, te- standing technology, for instance, is a good example of the sort of progress that can ach- be achieved. And when pro- providers, clinicians, manufacturers, we're all working together um, so it's not a fight that I feel pessimistic about, but you know, moving uh, forward with achieving better reimbursement so that we can appropriately provide these technologies to folks, that's perhaps the biggest barrier. And right now it's as important as ever with the rising costs of not just the products we're providing, um, but you know, appropriate folks to provide them, you know, the labor the labor market, all of the things that are putting uh, constraints around every business in this environment, we're certainly feeling um, while still having to battle reimbursements and not have the, the luxury of raising our prices. Can I connect the dots and from what you said, believe that one of the keys to better funding and better reimbursement is more accurate documentation? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, accurate accuracy, certainly. I mean, that's something that, you know, we're constantly and all of our, you know, the, the providers across the industry are working to educate clinicians around what the policies are, what the coverage criteria is, and how to appropriately document it. So that's one element of it. But I also think that working with, you know, Medicare and the various you know, not just federally, but state entities across what documentation is required and can we standardize that to some degree and remove a lot of the variance and payer-to-payer, you know, interpretation differences. I think that something as simple as that, you know, identifying what is the best way to justify a piece of equipment, eliminate, uh, you know, fraud and waste, but do so without so much back and forth. I would not say that it's contentious, the relationship between providers and funding sources, certainly, um, but it does stand to to be improved by just some universal best practices and uh, documentation requirements that are just a bit more consistent. Well, that's a tall order. What's being done to overcome these obstacles and barriers? And better question, what more can we do? 
So, you know, there are various groups that uh, bring together uh, stakeholders across the industry. I know NCART is, uh, we're headed to DC in just a couple of weeks to participate in a hearing around a number of these topics. Um, for a long time, you know, there, there have been groups that have advocated to, to bring, like I said, stakeholders together to, you know, slowly chip away at some of these topics. Some of them certainly are taller orders than others. Um, one thing though, you know, I think we need to be thinking about and be perhaps a bit more focused around is to work more closely with consumer groups and disability advocacy organizations to ensure that the, the, you know, the end user's voice is kind of front and center in this fight. I know that that's happening in, in some places, but it's, it's an area of opportunity, in my opinion. These folks deserve greater access to a number of benefits, not just appropriately funded equipment, but appropriately funded care at home, right? As we recognized the ADA anniversary recently, I connected with an old friend of mine who was participant in kind of right in the middle of that fight, as well as the civil rights movement for disabled individuals in the 60s. And she agreed, it's really time for providers to more closely align with the new generation of advocates and grassroots organizations um, out there representing the disabled community. So that's something that recently I'm really committed to exploring, you know, where we can better collaborate on these issues. I'm with you. I think the consumer bandwagon is pretty strong. Raising awareness of CRT and the obstacles to access to CRT is a sentence that rolls out pretty easily among industry people and the people that need it and use it and provide it. So the question becomes, who should we be targeting? How do we reach them? And what's the message? Yeah, That's a really good question. I mean, I think that that really starts at the local level and, you know, getting communities not just of clinicians and the affected, you know, end users, but getting folks engaged around educating them to as to what these products are and the impact they have. You know, I'm constantly telling new employees that don't understand, haven't have had zero exposure to our industry. You know, we don't sell chairs, air quotes, we're not selling furniture. This is, you know, providing mobility, independence, dignity. Um, <clears throat> these are, these are things that you, you know, it's a good point, Bill, that we spend a lot of in, uh, time engaged internally with stakeholders that already exist in our industry. And then of course, legislators, but this is something that should get more attention from the public. I think a big part of that is connecting with your, with clients, understanding where we can get involved. Reliable and many of the other organizations in the industry are really heavily involved with groups like the MDA, ALSA that do a lot of education um, in terms of public awareness. I think that that can be, you know, we we need to be remain committed locally as well. Um, One example of this recently within Reliable was with a group called uh, Luke 5 Adventures, I think it is. They're just a small organization across five or six states, um, but particularly active in Ohio, where one of our ATPs recently engaged in some activities helping some disabled kids go hiking. And he had brought out his family and some friends and people were just on fire as he explained it to me with passion around this. It really, for him, experiencing that connection, seeing impact, 
seeing his friends and family members, you know, have a better understanding of what he did was really inspirational. Um, so I, I think that, you know, locally engaging with, um, you know, these, the, the various groups that are involved with the community, this is the sort of involvement we should all seek. From a little different perspective to that question is, uh, I believe that the general public is not only unaware, but probably uninterested and maybe uncomfortable about disabilities in general. How do we raise awareness, I sound like a broken record, of all of this to our neighbors and to the people we see at the grocery who don't really have a clue? How do we get our neighbors, my turn for the air quotes, to know more, to do more, and what can they do anyway? Well, I think that it honestly starts with ensuring that our teams are really connected around a mission. I mean, certainly, if you've got a large group of employees that are just punching a clock and don't really connect with and aren't educated on the impact that these that, that, that what we do has on lives or really have lack of understanding around what challenges exist for our customers, even beyond provision of equipment. Um, they're not you know, being educated on disability rights and kind of some of the history, then, you know, you, you're, that's a big missed opportunity. The more we can encourage passion in terms of a mission and caring about what we do every day, the more likely we are to have disciples out there to talk to their friends and neighbors. You know, there certainly was a time where probably a lot of people, even, even maybe up to my husband, didn't totally understand what I did every day, didn't totally understand what this industry is. And that's something that I've really worked to, to change. It's something that I'm really proud to be a part of and I'm really excited and, and enthusiastic about talking to folks about, um, you know, whether that be in casual conversation with neighbors or on platforms like this, Bill, which I, which I appreciate. Um, it really, it really comes down to engaging in a mission, understanding the impact that we have and just how important it is, ensuring that our teams feel the same way um, so that we can, you know, be out there talking about this. We don't always have a big platform, but sometimes change happens a lot more locally and at, at a lot more granular level. level. Certainly seeing the impact and difference CRT makes is compelling. RTSs are on the front lines of raising awareness by actually providing equipment and services. Can we call on them to do more to spread the word, or might that be asking too much? I know they're kind of busy. Yeah, it's very much person to person, right? Certainly across our industry, the more engaged we can get, the more folks, the better, right? So, you know, I, I, I think that Certainly, the ATPs, RTSs are closer than anyone to the impact that the um, that this industry has on people's lives. And certainly, the more they can do to kind of rally and be heard and be part of um, some of these uh, legislative efforts and industry efforts, the better. Um, you know, again, that's kind of person to person. I, I think that. There are a lot of passionate people across this industry in a variety of roles that you know want to get more involved. When this podcast episode is over and people have listened and we say goodbye, what can they do right now? Are there things our listeners can do in the next five minutes? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there are a number of industry initiatives right now. You can go to any one of the variety of uh, groups out there in CART. 
um, you know, a home care, any of these folks that are working hard. Um, if you're not sure what the you know legislative efforts are, what the what these groups have been working on, go to any of those websites, learn about it, learn where you can engage with your local politicians, um, learn about who does or doesn't support the industry in terms of at the state level in particular. And just educate yourself, reach out to somebody that you know is involved and has maybe, you know, there are constantly articles on HME news and other places. Um, If you're not up to breast on those, do so. There's constantly articles about folks who are lobbying, going to the state, talking about these things, reach out to them. The more folks we have that are interested in educating themselves and participating, the better. Well, our time is up. I've run out of questions for now. Is there anything more you'd like to share? No, I, I appreciate the conversation today. Really appreciate you highlighting, you know, really what complex rehab is and means for people. And, you know, I myself have recently recommitted to getting more involved. I, I will admit that I wasn't always particularly involved. I was kind of focused on my company and our operations, but collaborating, you know, educating ourselves working with the various end-user advocacy organizations. This is something that, you know, is beneficial to the industry, but also incredibly rewarding. And it's something we should all make an effort to recommit to. So thanks thanks for calling attention to it, Bill. Thank you, Katie. It's always a pleasure. Always a lot to learn. And thanks to the premier sponsors of the September 14th fly-in, Alliance, NSM, New Motion, Reliable, Riften, and Quantum. And I would be remiss not to thank NCART and NARTS for organizing the fly-in. Well, you guessed it. That's all for this episode of Talk Rehab. I'm Bill Nolting. Thanks for listening.